Oh, God. <laughs> and welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise him! Praise him! Ah, here we go! Praise him. Oh, yeah. I don't know who this Praise character him. is, and I'm sorry about him. Oh, yes, and it is James. Oh, it's me! It's <laughs> it still me. Yes. I'm really good at character voices, so it's understandable. Uh, yes. um, today on the show, we're <laughs> going to be talking about Not All Dictators at La Mama Theatre, Wittenoom at Red Stitch Actors Theatre, and Nosferatu at the Malthouse. Ooh. Very exciting. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Yeah. Let's um, see how it goes. I'd love to. Do okay. That with you. Sure. Right now. Get it underway. Get the choir in. All right. Well, hello, Jake. Hello, James. Here we are. Yeah. Another beautiful day here in Melbourne. Yes. <laughs> good. That was a good example That's... of a dull conversation. <laughs> Did you like that? Um, how have you been? Really, really good. Fine. That's... Yeah, no. I never said a correct <laughs> answer when someone asked me that question. Jesus. Yeah, I don't have a lot of confidence. No. <laughs> My spine's made of spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things that's wrong with you. Uh-huh. Um, how's your week been? <laughs> it's not that week. <laughs> You'll live. Um, but it's been good. I'm mostly actually at the moment preparing for an upcoming trip that I'm going on. Oh my. I know. Where Where are you going? Well, I'm going with Flynn. Uh, My boyfriend, getting it out of the way now. Wait a second. I know, I have a boyfriend. This is how you're telling me? This is it. This is how I'm telling you. Live on air. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Right now. And you're already going on a trip? Very exciting. Wow. Um, so soon in the relationship for a trip. In May, it'll be two years we've been together, Jake. Good God. it's actually offensive that you do this every time. (laughs) Where are you going with this new man? Well, we're going up to Sydney for the tail. Randy Newman. <laughs> Is Pauses that something? for applause? <laughs> Says laugh. Pause for laughter in my cue cards. Randy Newman, the, the songster. He wrote "Short People." Yeah, I get it, but like, you've got a friend in me. You're just saying his name. A Randy Newman. Okay. Is right. a good guy to be dating. <laughs> so Flynn and I are going up to... That was good, Jake. No. No, no, it was a big... You swung big. You got to swing big. Short and people I respect got it. no reason. Continue. You got a friend in me. <laughs> no one likes us. I don't know why. That's oh, it's the, because you're hideous. Jake. No, that's another Randy Newman song about the end of the world. Tell me your story about so the Randy Newman and the trip you're going on with So him. Randy and I are going up to Sydney. <laughs> yes. Uh, for the tail end of Mardi Gras. We're catching the last few days of it. Well, they're the best days. The best days. Because mm-hmm. so we, we couldn't go up earlier because of Midsummer here, obviously. Um, and up we're going. So we're going to be there for five days. And then we're going to go to Byron Bay for a week. Uh-huh. Which we are very excited about. Yeah. So so Sydney <laughs> is very regimented with an itinerary of things to do and see. We're seeing a bunch of theatre in Sydney. Okay. Uh, which we won't be able to talk about on this podcast. Because this is a podcast about theatre in Melbourne. <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's be strict about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll see. Who knows? Uh, and then we're... Yeah, and then when we're done up there, we're going to tootle off to Byron. But I've recently... Yesterday, in fact. Yes. Um, when I got on the last episode, I mentioned we got um, hate crime and called a faggot out the window. Yes. Uh, honk honk. Um, and that's the. <laughs> that was the trigger warning goose, not after the, the fact. Not yeah. the car horn of the car that drove past and <laughs> called you something funny. Yeah, true. I should should clarify. It's a new character, the content warning goose, guys. He always comes after the fact. So. Yes, less of a warning, more of a mock. <laughs> <laughs> more of a motif. Um, so I we, we went to buy bathers. For Sydney and Byron. Mm-hmm. And I bought... Jake, I bought a Speedo. 
God. Now, I've never worn a Speedo. Ever? Ever. Wow, okay. Scared of them. Famously in high school, hated swimming because, you know, swimming in high school with a bunch of other boys is terrifying. Yes. Um, but, so, no, never wore a Speedo. I've always worn, like, a board short situation, but I'm going up to Sydney and Mardi, Mardi Gras. I figured... People need to see your upper thigh. People need to see... And I've got two big old tattoos on my thighs mm-hmm. that mean I can't wear anything board short or like shorty related because it cuts the tattoos in half and it looks awful. Does it? Yeah, it just <laughs> looks like bad planning. So I need to wear a, spe- a Speedo to show off the tats. Of course. So that was, the, I just wanted everyone to know that I'm scared to be in Mardi Gras with a Speedo. Um, and that's my story for you, Jake. Do you like Speedos on other people? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. who doesn't? It's a skimpy piece of swimwear. That's hot. A lot of women, I find, are against the Speedo as a concept. Sure, not my target audience. No, sure. So, but I'm just saying, in terms of people that have ever... Like, any time that I've heard... I, and I don't think I'm filtering my memories. I feel like any time that I've seen people talk about liking Speedos or not, women are the ones that don't like it. Really? Yeah. Women, write in. Let us know if that's true. Because <laughs> I think that, that doesn't sound right to me. No, that, no, especially someone that is so pro-Speedo as I. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah. You're a freak for him. Yes. You nasty little freak. Um, we, we, I think there's definitely like negative uh, notions around like the words bungee smugglers. That's a negative thing? Well, I think like whenever I think of bungee smugglers, I think of like all those photos of like Tony Abbott at the beach in bungee smugglers and everyone would be like, ew. Which I thought looked nice on him. Why are you staring at me so blankly? I just wanted you to sit in that silence for a second. I think if he had a different reputation, I would think that man <laughs> looks nice in those bathers. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to give my... my uh, <laughs> I'm not a political commentator. No, no, we're not. We're not. So we're not going to talk about it. Um, I am going to give my last uh, few da- days and the process of buying Speedos, like a, like a, like a, a, a tentative uh, a 7. 7.5 out of 5. Because okay. I'm excited, but there's a little bit of trepidation. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, I think it's going to be nice to wear a Speedo in Sydney and Byron Bay. Well, it seems like you might overcome some fears. Hopefully, or I'll just be laughed at for being Sydney fat. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Mike Concrete's <laughs> yeah, for yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I am excited just for that part of it. Jake, how mm. about you? How have you been? Uh, fine, fine, so fine. Uh, what has it been? Yeah, most of it's like the same things as usual. Nothing super outlandish has happened in terms of things that could be capsuled into an anecdote. I am reading a new book, which feels good. I started reading like a bad translation of a Marquis de Sade novel that I had to stop because the formatting was too bad. Oh, um, yeah, it was pretty devastating. And what about the formatting was so bad? Um, they like it seemed as if they it had been bound by like an idiot or something. I don't know. Like from the outside, it looked like a normal copy of Justine, but then it was like the first page was the beginning of the book. Oh no! <laughs> like there was no title page. There was no publishing information. It was just like so. Where's the foreplay? Come on! Exactly. Please Please me. Me a bit. Come on! Where's the frontispiece? Oh, Give it to me. The index. Yes. Yeah, no, it was just a chapter one. Chapter <laughs> I was like, Fuck. guys, this going is rough. In raw. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And yeah, and there was just like times where it looked like, oh, there was meant to be a paragraph break here, but instead you've done a weird like ornamental A. I I can't get into the details of, of okay, typing. Okay, sounds like boring Jake stuff, but thank that's you. Good. That um, reckoning a bit with realizing that I'm too quick to put anyone that seems beachy onto a pedestal. That's something that I'm recently. So do you want to give us any sort of context for that or are we just going to go with it? If I, like, I've recently gotten to know this person who I quite like. He's great. But I've realised that like the moment that he was like, oh, I just wish I was at the beach. You know, I fucking love the beach. I was like, why have I immediately hoisted you onto this like plinth <laughs> in my mind? What do you think that is? The speedo worship of it all? I don't think it has too much to do with speedo worship, but maybe there is something inbuilt into the idea of a beachy person having a lot of body confidence. I don't totally. know. But there is something. I guess there's also something about like, 
it's sort of that old school like oh this person is connected to nature so like in a beautiful way and like mm. I, I know I would love to be a person that goes to the beach more sure and I'm just not yeah, maybe so I'm jealous like, of people yeah. that go to the beach a lot totally maybe that's part of it and I think yeah the thing you're getting at too like mastery of an element that's, oh totally that's, that's hot like if they're a surfer plus 10 points <laughs> And maybe there's something... There's something maybe... Oh, no, I can't get into the whole gay surfer thing. That, that's a whole conversation to have some other time. But... Yeah, maybe for you, yes. <laughs> shut up. Maybe... Is there anything in the thought of like... And maybe this is me pitching a Netflix pilot episode. But like something in the idea of like surfers conquering the water and circus performers conquering fire. And there's like... Okay, then who's Earth? Like... Construction uh, workers, tradies. Ma- yeah, like, a, like, yeah, maybe like a gay like sexy tradie. tradies in their little short shorts. Yeah, or like someone that's really into gardening. Sure. Yeah, I mean that seems like a yeah. Yeah, and the more like quintessential like herbology witchcraft, and maybe that's that. Um, and then and then what's left? Air. Yeah. Who's who's hot air balloonist? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I love a hot what's, air balloonist. What's a windy gay though? Um, be, brr, maybe a pilot. My friend Luke is a pilot. They are a pilot. He's a gaybo in the sky. He's also a trained nurse. That's true. His backstory makes no sense. His backstory's too... He's also a wonderful pianist. Like, that man has too many talents. Indeed. <gasps> Maybe he would have to be like a, like a woodwind instrument player. And then you get like the, the musical side of gayness. That feels... Because there's only four sides. A bit too specific. <laughs> like, because if you've got gardeners... But, but music happens in like the air. all gardeners and then flute players. No, like, but it's like, it's, music's in the air, you know? Like, that's how sound travels. Yeah, I get through, it. No, yeah. it's not that I don't get it. I just think it's wrong. I don't think you're understanding. Okay, <laughs> sure. Have you factored in clarinets? Star rating! <laughs> Star rating right now. Was there another thing? Oh, so I'm reading a new book that isn't Justine that was for, like, poor, poorly formatted. It's about um, the, 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 the human body in uh, ancient... The, 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 um, <laughs> sorry, I'm... No, you sounded like... um Just our Roadrunner conversation last time reminded me of... You sound like that stuttering duck hunter. Rabbit. Rabbit hunter. Oh, that guy. Uh, duh, 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 duh. Elmer Fudd? Elmer Fudd. Yes. It's, yeah, maybe we shouldn't mock people with stammers. Maybe. But again, I'm pro most speech impediments. Mm. It's a controversial stance, but I'm going to die on that stuttery hill. You do love a speech impediment. Thank you. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the book itself is about um, depictions and the the behavior of ancient Greek and Roman bodies. Oh, yeah. Great. It's, That's right up your alley. Thank you. Yes. It's mm. really fascinating. And it's depiction in art and stuff. It's really, really great. Um, I, one thing that I didn't know about... Because it's interesting. One interesting thing that I found about one of these like funky little factoids mm-hmm. is like Greeks had gyms mm-hmm. whereas Romans had baths mm-hmm. and that's how they would kind of like be naked around each other yep. and that in both of these instances they would have like idealized like human statues around to kind of encourage them to go about that activity mm. so there'd be like a hot man statue at the gym to be like keep working out because you don't look like that guy that statue yeah and yeah. the way that that Still permeates culture today. Today, that idea of like, totally. oh, yeah, he's going to see this guy. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just one of the interesting things that I have like happened upon. It's also so interesting anytime you hear about like these different perspectives on like human medicine. Of like the music, they they used to believe that the like a woman's womb would like move around her body seeking out moisture. Whoa. Yeah. What? <laughs> and that would cause dismay and stuff. So they knew there was a womb. They just didn't know where it was. No. And it would like, yeah, wander around to try to, yeah, yeah, get at them. Move. The, move, I'm wander. And a womb. And a womb. <laughs> I'm wombie wander. And the different takes on like how important it was for a woman to have a child and the danger of her womb having no purpose. 
Yeah, wow. This would still permeates to today, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, this book's fantastic. I really like it. What's it called? Um, um, it's called The uh, Exposed. Read along, guys. Yeah. Pick up a copy of Exposed today. Yeah, Praise Dionysus Book Club. Yeah. That could be fun. Uh, it could. Uh, yeah, I really love it. So Stars? I will, as, I, as I do with any, anything that I like, I will bore you with it sometime soon. Terrific. Uh, great. Stars? I'm gonna give it... 14 stars. Mm-hmm. Because out of nowhere, I've decided that's how many stars are in the Gemini constellation. Is it true? Doubt it. Probably not. <laughs> in fact, I'm certain it's not. But it's bold of you to say it. Thank you. But I'm a Gemini. I am always a little bit thinking about, <laughs> uh, what's it called? Oracle. The, oh, yes. The, 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 the horoscope circus. I'm yes. a Libra, so I actually don't believe in star signs. Because Libras are... Why, why don't Libras It's just a throwaway line, Jake. It's not meant to be anything more than that. <laughs> Should we talk about some theatre? Sorry for actively listening to you. <laughs> yeah, how dare you! <laughs> yeah, let's talk about some plays. Thank you. Hello, Jake. Hi. I went to the theatre this time. Oh, look at you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Pulling my weight. Um, I went to La Mama. Yeah. The courthouse. Great. Hadn't been to the courthouse in a while, so that was quite nice. Mm-hmm. I went with our, our dear friend of the pod. Not, not that podcast, but a friend of our podcast. Yes. Georgie Potter. Oh, yes. Yes, Robert, Robbie Williams' hardcore mega fan, Georgie Potter. Yes, I know the one. You know the one? I do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we went along to Lama Courthouse. We got a drink at the Motley Bauhaus beforehand, which is quite quite nice. Great. Great really. place for a beer. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> oh, good. You like that? Yeah, yeah. It's starting to sound like sponsored content, but yes, absolutely. God, I love the, the lager on Wait the for the money before oh, you yes, start saying point, stuff. Fair point, fair <laughs> um, point. Yes, we went to see Not All Dictators. Okay. Um, which is a show written by Tiffany Barton, Natalie Block, and Kate Smurthwaite. Do you want to try those <laughs> yeah, names I again? Do. I do. We're definitely leaving in your first attempt. <laughs> no! no, 100% James. Tiffany Barton, Natalie Block, and Kate Smurthwaite. Great. Is the, is the name of the people that wrote the show. How, how, does, how is Natalie spelled? N-A-T-A-L-I. Cool. No, Natalie, that sounds like Natalie, right? It looks like Natalie. It does. <laughs> um, yeah, um, this production of it was directed by Helen Doig. Um, so we want, wander on in. Go on. Move, I'm wandering. Thank you very much. Uh, we sit, so like, it's just a um, re- regular banked seating. I'm still laughing about Wanda. Wanda's I'm a funny st- character. <laughs> she's great. She's always, <laughs> like, she's on the go. And it's like, why? She thinks everyone's going to know who she is. I'm Wanda, get Move. out of the way. <laughs> it's like, okay. Wander on over. Uh, so we walk in. Yes. There we go. Sensible. Thank you. Sit down, maybe like three rows back. Okay. Um, and yeah, start observing this play. There's no preset. Oh. Crushing. Okay. Uh, but the set is sort of like, dra- it's it's a spooky vibe. Um, and again, I have not researched anything about the show before going in. Great. Went, went in blind. Um, it's, it's like strips of fabric sort of h- hanging from the ceiling, which sort of elongate the entire space. And then... Three very distinctly different chairs. Like one of them was this old-fashioned chair. Then another one was like a a modern-looking like swivel egg chair. Okay. And and like um, a fully enclosed egg. Not a fully enclosed egg. Like one of the half little like chairs you'd have at like a bar. Okay. Like so like like a, like a high stool one. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and then I can't like remember. Like your feet don't touch the ground while you're on it. Yes, like one of those swivel ones. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, are we done talking about chairs? It's the set. It's important <clears throat> to imagine. It is important to imagine. Uh, um... <clears throat> oh no, he's coughing. <laughs> Do you want to cut that, please? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so funny to say, "Oh no, he's coughing." <laughs> um, the show begins. Yeah. Loud, intense, 
like metal music starts playing. Did you say what the third chair was? Oh yeah, so so the, the three chairs. There was a swivel one, and then there was like this like black, almost just very simple cabaret chair. You know, like the sort of like simple wooden frame chairs that are just used for cabaret all the time. Oh yeah, I can't do it alone. Chairs. Exactly. Yes. Yep. And then the third one was like this sort of classic old granny chair, like. Like, Wait, is this the fourth chair? This is the third chair. We've got the Chicago chair, the yep. swivel chair, yep. and the egg chair. No, the swivel and the egg chair are the one chair. Swivel, egg, and one chair. Yep. There's a really old chair. Yep. And then the other one is just like, it looks like a chair that you would find uh, at like a grandma's farmhouse. It's like made is this from... Is he still describing the Chicago this chair? This is the third chair That's now. four chairs! No! There is the old Chicago chair. chair. Yep. The swivel chair that is also the egg chair. Yes. And this is the third chair. What about the old chair? That's the, the... Oh, my God. We Okay. Jake, let's start fresh. <laughs> let's start... Fuck, no, leave this in. Yeah, Don't great. you go to cut this. No, good. Swivel chair. Yep. Chicago chair. Mm-hmm. And then forget everything else I've said. The third chair is like one you would find at a grandmother's old farmhouse. Okay. It's like this like wood, unvarnished, simple um, chair. I can't really describe it other than that. Okay. 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 Great. Great. Good. Three chairs. Three chairs. Hinting at three key players in this show. Is that what chairs hint at? Well, I mean, it, for me it did. because I'm very clever. Um, so, heavy metal music starts playing. And yes. out come Prue Daniel, Victoria Haslam, and Melina Wiley. Mm-hmm. Who are all dressed... This show, it, it turned out to be uh, sort of a retelling of the Macbethian witches. Uh-huh. And the show goes on to explore some pretty intense themes of... Uh, what happens to women during wartime, essentially. Not to cut you off, pretty intense. Girls going camping. (laughs) (laughs) You've already got the title and the concept. I'm sorry, I'm going to cut across you just there and say, so only girls can be pretty. And what is a girl? But these girls are. What about pretty boys? That's not what this play's about. Mm -hmm. But it can be. And that's what the workshopping process will be. <laughs> Continue describing... Thank you very much. So, pretty intense themes yes. <laughs> of what happens to women during wartime. Yep. Uh, and it's also um, a take on dictators throughout history, but mostly focusing on Putin. So a lot of it is uh, the three witches sort of cursing what they call McPutin. Okay. Yep. So that's the sort of framework of what the show is. It's just mm. these witches sort of going on their journey of trying to bring Putin down. Okay. Yep. Uh, so the three <clears throat> witches come out. Mm-hmm. They look terrific. Great. Like, and they bring this energy straight away. Uh, straight away out the gate, Victoria Haslam, mm. who played a witch called Hecate. Uh-huh. Great names. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I've got to just get it straight away. Just was one of the most watchable and engaging witch impressions I've ever seen. Ooh. Like, her face was fully emotive and her eyes felt like they were just seeing stuff that I couldn't see the entire time and every inch of her body was being used in every scene she was in. Like, this this woman was really something to watch perform. Mm-hmm. Um, so straight away when the three of them came out, uh, they start sort of chanting, they're screaming at the audience, they're psyching themselves up, uh, and then they bring out a cauldron. Yes. Yeah, and Jake, this show is full of so much witchy magic cool and it's all done so authentically in a way that just feels like oh they're actually doing witchcraft on this stage Mm -hmm. Um, which is i feel pretty tricky to do especially in a small space with three performers in front of just 
people directly in front of you, it is so hard to pretend to do magic. Sure. Um, yeah, so that was like a real joy of the show, first of all, was just seeing three witches do stuff. Aesthetically, were they all a similar type of witch? So the three of them, <clears throat> there, there, there were three different types of, of witch. Mm-hmm. You had, so Victoria Haslam, who I've already spoken about, mm-hmm. she sort of played the more insane witch, I guess you would say. Uh-huh. She was She was a little more skewed in all of the ways that she spoke. Um, she's a little more snake-like and a little more scary. Mm-hmm. Then you had um, Melina Wiley, who played a witch called Morgan. Okay. Um, I, 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 I heard the names. I couldn't I couldn't really tell what the third witch was called. But Okay. So I just wanted to say that now. But <laughs> Melina playing Morgan was more along the lines of like an older, and I use the word with all the love intended, hag um, <laughs> of this sort of older has seen it all it's sort of keeping the other two in line head of the coven sort of witch okay and then the third one Prue Daniel is a younger performer mm-hmm. and sort of playing the more well f- for instance she pulls out a phone a lot and is on her phone quite a bit so it felt a little more like a zoomer witch okay uh, like and, and she was more like sexually charged and a little more um, edgy um, so the, between the three of them they covered a lot of ground witch wise right <laughs> Which I love when you get a trio of witches. Uh-huh. Uh, better than a trio of dips. Better than a trio, trio of, of dips. dips. It's like a classic... Oh, great. <clears throat> yep. All right. <laughs> so, do you have something against dr- dip trios? No, I just think it's funny to say trio of witches in, in relation to trio of dips, but I'm going to move on from Why don't they now. call it a coven of dips? Because they're witches, not dips. Continue discussing not all dictators. I will do that. (laughs) Um, So I'm just going to say some of my favourite parts of the show because a lot of the show was uh, individual stories sort of woven together in a way that they didn't really affect each other but as each sort of piece was introduced it sort of highlighted the themes of what they're trying to talk about all together. So it was a lot of like different snippets of different stories that felt unconnected. Okay. Um, So one of them was they kept coming back to uh, Putin and Putin's family. Like, um, Melina at one point plays, um, Putin's wife. Mm. And so there's a lot of conversation about how Putin treats his wife. Um, which I, which I get sort of mirrors the idea of how Putin and I suppose armies in general treat women during wartime. Yeah. That was grim. But then one of the more, uh, upbeat moments they kept, they came back to was, um, the other two, Victoria and Prue playing these two little, little girls who were the daughters of Putin and his wife. Mm. And they did this terrific scene where Prue led Victoria through this sort of like 80s fitness um, routine. And the whole time they were talking about how hard it was for their father to sort of be in this situation while Victoria would sort of come on the other hand of like, but it's horrible how he's treating mother. And then the two of them just doing this whole Prue, like, just Prue has this incredible amount of enemy energy and is such a clearly physically competent performer, and she was just effortlessly doing this full fitness routine while just constantly babbling on with this dialogue and not getting out of breath, which was very impressive. First of all, yeah, um, and then Victoria did a really great job of sort of clearly knowing the choreography but looking like she didn't in a, and following along and stumbling along, which was just funny to see witches do eighty style fitness. Sure, <laughs> like that it was just a very cute scene, and the two of them sort of like not being able to understand the horrors of what's going on with Putin, their father, and not being able to untangle their family dynamic from the horrors of war it was pretty grim. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so they, they, in that sort of vein, they go on to explore different stories of different women throughout 
uh, war. So I guess honk honk uh, for this entire segment because it's a lot of grim imagery. Like there's one, there was one beautiful scene, and um, I have to assume it was planned. There was so Victoria, who has been doing this sort of uncapped, zany, crazy witch, sits down and then tells this very emotional and intense story of how her her. And I don't like bringing this up every time. Trigger warning, baby death. Yeah. But trigger warning, baby death. <laughs> uh-huh. um, how her baby was killed by a bomb blast in Ukraine. Mm. A lot of a lot of this story is centered around the Ukraine war. Yeah. Um, and goes on to sort of tell this story of how she d- lost her child and starts cry- like openly weeping Ooh. on stage, which is such a talent. Like sure. tears, 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 and she has this beautiful streak of black makeup across her face in one line over her eyes. Yeah. So when she cries and she looks up, suddenly her face is just covered in these streaks of black ink down her face. It was one of the most visually stunning moments I've seen in theatre for a long time. Sure. Like, it really took me. And then, in the, meanwhile, while she's telling this horrible, horrible story, um, the other two are behind her singing this beautiful song in really impressive harmony. And I, it was just a really beautiful moment of, of like your moment with... um. Six boy, six people a trans woman will date in Melbourne. Yes. That gorgeous moment with, was it Omar? Yeah. It just, I don't know, it just sort of took me and I was just, I think it's going to stick with me for a long time, that vision of horrifying Hecate streaming black ink down her face. Oh, I'm so glad that you get that moment and I get Omar, an explosion of stars. We get there. <laughs> We're at the other end of the spectrum and I'm happy about oh, it. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> throughout the show, they kept referencing other dictators throughout history. Mm. For instance, at the start of the show, they, when they brought this cauldron out, they did this sort of Macbethian, like, Eye of Newton, Wing of Bat and all this. But they, they kept saying, like, I don't know, I, I can't distinctly remember what the ingredients were, but there would be things like, I don't know, Eyeball of Lenin or, like, Foot of Stalin and all these different dictators throughout history. And yeah. they would sort of put them in. Um, in this very long and impressively written rhyming Macbethian scheme. Sure. Um... <clears throat> And then they would, throughout the show, then sort of come back to these other dictators. And two of the ones that they did that I thought were quite funny, um, Prue comes out dressed in this... I didn't pick who it was at first. Mm. Georgie had to tell me after the show, and it was so obvious. Um, comes out in this Hawaiian shirt with, like, a beautiful hat on and, like, a drink. And then just sort of starts doing this really silly, goofy dance to this silly, goofy music. And then pulls out, like, a fire hose and starts pretending to spray everybody. Uh-huh. So it was meant to be Scott Morrison going on Hawaiian holiday while the country burnt to a crisp. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, terrific. Wonderful. So <laughs> I thought that was interesting, bringing him into the dictatorship. And then um, Melina comes on. Just in... I haven't seen... You know, you see a lot of Trump impersonations. Yes, I do. Yeah. I've not seen one on stage. Right. Okay. I've managed to skip all the Trump impersonations until now. Oh, God. And she does this really grotesque striptease mm-hmm. as this orange horrifying monster man mm. strips all the way down um, and then just reveals a tiny little penis. Okay. Which I thought was just, it was a fun break from all the horrors of war stories we had been hearing. Okay. Um, so that was fun. Great. Um, <laughs> when was the last time you saw some good witches on stage, Jake? Good witches. Good witches, think Jake, think good witches. I guess um, the new corpse shall drink the new wine. Yep. I always get that title wrong, I'm sure, but they were witchy. Yep. Otherwise, witches, witches. We saw Gorilla Sabbath, that had witches. Uh, th- yep, there were witches there in were that witches play. There were witches in that. That play happened. And then, I guess, 
the that high school production of The Wizard of Oz. Okay, maybe we're veering off course a little bit. Um, <laughs> was there an answer you wanted? No, no, I'm just trying to get a scope of because I'm trying. When I see witches on stage, I I don't know. I, don't, I think I have like a built-in expectation of what they're gonna be, and this show was so good at sort of playing into preconceived notions of what witches and what scorned and angry women are already like. And then weaving in this sort of modern day twist that I didn't think I would like. Mm. But I, I, it really grew on me, this show. Like, it's, I, I've got to be honest, when the show started, I was concerned. For me, personally, for my own taste. Because, okay, you're more of a witchy purist. Witchy purist. Um, but then as it sort of went on, it was like, yeah, I, this, this makes complete sense to me that there would be a coven of witches out there trying to curse Putin. Mm. Like, totally, I get it. Mm. And the, um, songs that they chose, there was some real choices made with the music. Um, they had music from Blackpink. Uh, they had music from, I'm trying to find the list I had written down here. Peaches, Death Pill, oh, not Blackpink. I said Blackpink, I meant Death Pill. Very different. Are they different? Yeah, Death Pill is more of a hardcore screamo metal band. Oh. Whereas Blackpink is more of a K-pop fun time. Yes. Different vibes. Um, <laughs> Peaches, Death Pill, Pussy Rabbit, and Sean Roberts, who I believe wrote a bunch of the music for the show. Okay. And it was just all so distinct and aggressive that I left the show with a heightened blood pressure. Wow. Yeah, okay. like it was just very intense and full on. I feel like it needed to be for the themes they were discussing. Um, there was another... Melina did this really beautiful scene character they kept coming back to. Melina's the old, playing the older witch. Mm. And she sort of is... So she's sitting on her chair. She's alone. She has a sock puppet that she talks to in this wonderful Ukrainian accent. And she sort of discusses with the sock puppet because everyone else has left the small town she's in because of the war. So she's just left alone. Mm. And she's just this old lady trying to survive in her house. And she's like... I can't take the cow from the neighbours because it's their cow. And the sock puppet's like, but they've already left. They've all left. And she's like, but if I take the cow, then wouldn't I be just as bad as the soldiers that are raping the land and the women here? And it sort of just goes on into this, like, equal parts funny and camp and equal parts just harrowing conversation about old women in wartime and what happens to them. Mm. And the realities of what happens to all women in wartime. I mean, Prue Daniel has this um, scene where she discusses... Trying to, trying to escape the country as a young woman, trying to escape Ukraine and being sold into sex slavery and then just goes into this really graphic uh, retelling of the experience that that character had. And it was done in just such an unrelenting way that it felt... like I, fe I feel like we've often seen these sorts of things discussed with poetic language and a lot of, like, cloak and dagger and trying to hide it under beautiful words, but this was just really just black and white, this is what happened. Mm. And it was horrible, it was harrowing, and I'm really thankful for Proof of being so just giving with that performance. And yeah, I don't know, it left me feeling just shit about the world, man. Sure. Yeah. It's, I'm really glad, that in, in just that sentence you said, I'm glad that it wasn't poetry. Part because I'm just like sick of poetry lately in terms of it being on stage. <laughs> a little <laughs> bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. In the way, especially when you, if you want to talk about something specifically and in a way that is like honest and confronting, mm. like if that's your intention, it, it seems like you're yeah, going at it with a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with, it's. It's it fewer felt... metaphors and more just thoughts. It felt to me less. Yeah, it felt to me more like they. We're trusting the audience to be emotionally mature enough to be able to understand that this show is going to have some intense themes, mm. 
uh, and 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 you can handle that, and we're going to tell you what those what those stories are. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong; there were there was plenty of um, imagery and poetry sort of throughout the piece, mm. but but those scenes when they came down to the nitty gritty of this is what happens to women in war. Yeah, they did not shy away from it, and and I'm yeah, I'm just really thankful for that. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm. Yeah. If you were naming three witches, what would you name them? <laughs> what would I name them? I need to know their personalities first. Sure, okay, you're writing these witches. <laughs> <clears throat> um, at the moment, in the mood I'm in, there'd be Maltricia, there'd be Scrags, <laughs> and there'd be Bethephany. Bethephany. <laughs> yes. That's a good one. Thank you. That's what would really yours good. be called? Mine would be called, like, I think I'd want it to be called things like, maybe a Prue? Mm-hmm. Maybe a Piper? Uh-huh. Maybe a Phoebe? Yeah. Would there be like a, like a weird half sister that would like swing in at some point? Maybe four seasons in? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe one of them would be lost along the way and would need to be replaced. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not sure. It's all vague. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was charmed. Yes. Um, no, I think I would call them something like. Yeah, I think I'd call them normal names. I think I, I love the idea of incredibly Naming a dog pa- Gary. Well, exactly. Like incredibly <laughs> powerful witches who are dressed like fully big, like scary witches, and they're called like Chanel. Uh, Miranda, and maybe Pr- Beth. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 The mighty and powerful Beth. Sure. Well, I guess Hocus Pocus, like Sarah and Mary, aren't especially insane names, are they? That's true. And also Prue, Phoebe, and, and and Piper. You know, like these are also not crazy names. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Maybe which, that's which of the Hallowell sisters has your favorite name? I don't like any of those names. You don't like any of them? What about Paige? I just realised, having said that, Prue, I apologise for, say, for saying I don't like any of those names. I just mean... Because Prue's name is Prue. Prue's name is Prue. <laughs> uh, no, I love your name. Mm. I just don't think I would imagine a witch called Prue. Okay. Even though Shannon Doherty nailed it so hard. So hard. Oh, yeah. cast, brilliant. What use do you have? I know that this... Yeah, this show was mildly, like, moderately poetic in the way you're describing it. Yeah, there, yes. What service does poetry offer you in your life? None. None? None. Okay. I don't think... There is maybe one or two poems that affect me. Okay. And then I... I know this is entirely on me. I think just being a dumb person. I have no patience for poetry. Okay. Um, and I... <laughs> call me call me stupid and call me dumb, but <laughs> I think if you're going to say something, there are easier ways to say it than sort of talking around the subject. <laughs> you know? Sure. I think yeah. you can just say it with nice words. <laughs> And that's fine. Okay. But hey, if you want to write poetry, there are lots of people out there that love it, and you should go for it. Why? What do you think about poetry? No. No, I don't know. I was just thinking about it the other day. No, and I think the thing that I rely on, like, it's often a mood thing, you know? Sure. Like, um, and yeah, as you're saying, there are some good poems or whatever. Um, I think, but like, the thing about poetry that seems to be least, like, least shifting for me in terms of my relationship with it is, like, I kind of always see it as medicine, quite reliably. Mm. And okay. beyond that, I can be in or out of a poetic mood. I can, like, be into it or not in terms sure. of, like, if I can be fucked. But medicinally, I find poetry useful in the way, like, a number of times I've gone through, like, weird emotional things and woken up with, like, Pablo Neruda in my hands, you know? Yeah, wow, okay. Like, that sort of garbage. Like, I, and I'd say that's... Yeah. God, I wish... I, I do wish that I connected with poetry more. Like, I wish mm. that I would read a poem and go, like, oh, my God, yes, this expresses something I've never been able to express. Mm. But I just don't think I've had that experience. I do like The Fig Tree. Right. That, the poem about the, you know... Not making choices. Not making choices and then all the figs die. I think that's a beautiful poem. But, like, mm. otherwise... But you also just like it when figs die, don't you? I hate figs. Ugh. Call me a, an anti-figist. <laughs> 
What's wrong? <laughs> Is that the right grammar for that? Yeah, sure. Um, no, poems, I wish I could connect with them, but I, I just... And I think there's a difference for me in reading poetry and, like, seeing poetry done on stage. Because mm. that has other elements that illuminate what the poetry's all about. Sure. And, like, has someone saying it in a way that I assume they understand the poem, and mm. they can say it in a way that'll highlight certain elements to me. And sometimes Scott Middleton is saying so, it. And if Scott Middleton's saying it, <laughs> then, then it's Jakey's in. Um... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but 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 I think for me, re- sitting down and reading a book of poetry is just not something I think I'd, I'd, I'd ever see myself doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I'm really thankful to, for these three witches for doing their thing, and I would love to... S- I've, I've never seen any of these performers before, mm. and I would, I'm, I'm, I really am keen to see what they do next, because all three of them are so terrific. Cool. I went to the theatre with yeah, we, beautiful we, British Johnny. We know. You know, what do you mean you know? We all know you went to the theatre with beautiful British Johnny. Get on with it. <laughs> um, I went to Red Stitch. Lovely. The Actors Theatre. I know the one. You're familiar? Yes, I know. Yes. Yeah, it's around the corner from here. Don't dox me. They know where you are. Oh my God. <laughs> What's that? Is that a car I hear on... Don't on tell road? people okay. where I goddamn live. Okay. I went to the theatre and I went to see Wittenoom by Mary Ann Butler. We were like towards the back, which is fine because the theatre's not gigantic and we could see everything. It's a good size theatre. I want to immediately say that the set was beautiful. Oh, great. I just, it was one of those moments where like, you know, when you sit down and you see the set and it's like, I'm excited for what happens here. And like, this was one of those times where it's like, I saw the set and it was like, it was so beautiful that it caused me to imagine the plays that I wanted to see happen around it. Oh, great. That's a good set. It was nice. Yeah. Do you want to describe the set? I will, yeah. So it was like, first off, it was like um, the set and the costumes were designed by Dan Barber. Um, so just saying that. But yeah, so the set itself looked like, you know, those like big signs of like, Welcome to Fleckerfleur. Yep. <laughs> it was like one of those. Yeah, Welcome to Fleckerfleur. I know. That. <laughs> I'm a I born improviser. <laughs> um, yeah, but of course this one said Wittenoom on it. Because right. that's where it was set. Oh, so Wittenoom is the name of a place. Wittenoom's the name of a place. Right. A place that was real. Oh, is it? Yes. Where is Wittenoom? It's in Australia. <laughs> in the western portion, to be specific. Okay, it's like a small town. Uh I guess we'll find out. You're about to find out, absolutely. So, yeah. So, what happens is, like, it's... Okay, so in terms of, like, how the play sounds and functions, it is pulling the audiobook thing again. Yep. So, it is the thing where it's, like, it's a mother and a daughter, and they're telling the story from the distance of what feels like, you know, like an author telling you. I always word this poorly. Yeah, you do. Shut up! (laughs) It's the thing where it's like, I'm sitting on the porch and I'm looking out at the sunset and then I go inside and I make myself a coffee and then I go to bed. Instead of just showing us you doing all those things, you tell us that that's the thing that happens and that you're doing and the things that you're feeling. It feels like you're almost speaking about yourself in the third person. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's that. And it's a mother and a daughter and they're played by Caroline Lee and Emily Goddard respectively Mm -hmm. and respectfully. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Jack. Thank you. Sidestepped it well. <laughs> that linguistic mishap. Anyways, that's why you're looking at me like that. I'm now. just ready to hear about the show. <laughs> So the show begins and they come out. And so it's just the two of them in the show. And so what it is then about... So Because I, I started watching the show and I didn't know anything about it. And yep. then there was like this poster of the two of them dancing in old looking dresses. And I thought, is this going to be about them entering some sort of dance competition? Are they going to be like two women in a large family of girls? Wait, what are they wearing? They were just like In the poster, they were wearing like big swooshy sort of dark oh, dresses. Sure. Quack, okay. quack, quack, quack. And I was sort of like... And my mind was like, I wonder if this is just going to be like a different version of Little Women. And I'll just love it as much as I love Little Women. All ladies in black. All ladies He's in black. <laughs> they get dressed in the back. <laughs> yes, black is not coming back because it never went it never away. Never went away. Oh, what a terrific news! Always here to stay. Yes, gone. <laughs> it's an obvious fact. <laughs> uh, he looked better in black. 
<laughs> when we walk through the door. My name's Robin. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> musical really changed our lives. Really good musical. <laughs> uh, yeah. Someone do a version of Ladies in Black so we can come and see it. Please, Sorry, go on. The musical version, not Obviously. the not like the screenplay. God, because uh, um, I will pick it to that production. I can promise you that. Yes. Let them sing. Let them sing. <laughs> What's the point? Uh, yeah. And so then we hear the story of these this mother and daughter that moved to Wittenoom in order to sort of get away from things. The mother is like this mysterious promiscuous woman. The daughter is like her young daughter who like needs to be a little bit protected from things. But they've mm-hmm. moved to Wittenoom deliberately to try to like. Get away from it all and find a new life together. Great. And that's kind of the like, dynamic going on with that. And then, then we cut, like start learning that it's like asbestos is happening. And they're like, there's like an asbestos factory. And everyone in the town is getting asbestosis, which oh. is a real thing, apparently. Yeah, the is. mother gets mesothelioma. Yep. Yep. Why you, you've softened your voice. I know a little bit about asbestos just because of my name. Because you're an heir to My this... name is James Hardy. That's yes. my full name. And James Hardy was the name of the company that accidentally made a lot of asbestos and got a lot of people hurt. James Hardy's like one of the biggest companies that used a lot of asbestos as insulation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people got uh, me- me- mesothelioma. mesothelioma from that and sued James Hardy, the company. So my geography teacher in year nine always called me asbestos. Oh. Uh, how's that for a fun fact for you? Yeah, yeah, it's a broad definition of what fun is. So I had a lot of a lot of close relationships with asbestos. <laughs> oh my goodness! It was the asbestos of us. It was the asbestos of us. <laughs> Go on. Um, that's, that's really interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Do you have any complicated feelings about being? No, I just I every time I hear asbestos, it triggers a more sentimental and emotional feeling in me than I think it does for other people who aren't called James Hardy. Because you feel connected to the tragedy. I do, not to the tragedy, just to like it's simply like I hear the word and I go, oh yeah, <laughs> I know about that's me. Oh my. Yeah. Okay, well, I saw this play where you were the villain. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yes, and then, yeah, the mother gets mesothelioma. Oh, and then, the, yeah, no, and then more devastating things happen. But it's kind of, and, but it's like, and... <laughs> I thought sorry, I didn't mean to react strangely to my own thoughts. Um, I thought I loved haze going like in my regular life a regular amount when it comes to haze. I love haze. You know, like smoke and oh, smoke like, haze. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, no, t- not different varieties of hay. Yeah, I was confused. <laughs> you know how I'm a hungry horse. Yes, <laughs> and I love variety in my diet. Uh, no, that's but it's like it's a show about asbestos. Mm. And they've put haze in the show. Oh, genius. And so it's like gradually the space is filling up with this haze. That's great. Making you think that you're being yourself suffocated in by, this, asbestos. by asbestos. I'm getting mesothelioma. Getting mesothelioma. And it was like a really like interesting, subtle, sort of, I don't know, bewitching touch. That's a great te- That's a great technique. Yeah. That's so yeah. So, so yeah, Susie D directed this. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, whoever it was that had a hand in that decision making... Stunning Bravo. work. Bravo. Yeah, I just, yeah, it was like, it, it was a cool opportunity to even just to get to think about Hayes harder than usual. Yeah, and for it to be used as not even like a plot device, but like as a, like a, an emotional trigger. Yeah. Well. Yeah, that's great. And to, yeah, to make you experience that feeling of like being a little bit suffocated. Oh God, oh God, oh and, God. Oh my God. And imagine if they like announced that like the town you were living in suddenly had this toxin in the water or the air or mm. something. And you were like, but I've been in that this entire time. Like yeah. it's almost that thing of like putting lobsters in water as you start boiling it, you know? Oh. That's why you sad now. Just sad with the lobsters. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, poor lobsters. They do nothing to us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was just uh, one of like the moments and one of like the nice sentences that sort of happened that 
made me like think and be sad for a second was the thought of like like the idea of dying moments like a person dying and the moment of that process okay <laughs> not moments that are dying and the idea of there being a voice in the skull of a dying person saying something to the effect of like was that it was that a life oh god it's like oh my god oh, jesus yeah. yeah at what point do you sort of quantify up oh, this is it that was that was everything yeah and the thought of like yeah and then it's all and then it's done and for that thing that you are reflecting upon to be something moderately underwhelming or to be like a poor example of a human's capacity to live god jesus he's sad that's so sad jake yes on top of asbestos being a sad moment. Yeah. <laughs> well in, said. In our industrial history. Yeah, I guess everyone should live a life where they can think one day that that voice will be able to be happy with them. Yes. And also, yeah, to not be, yeah, inside a body that is dying due to asbestos. <laughs> sure, but we can't control that. No, not anymore. No. no. It's <laughs> loose. We're doing our best, though. Yeah, it is loose. But yeah, we're doing our best to tackle that thing. When I say we, I mean the human race, not me and you. Yeah, well, <laughs> we are doing our best as well. I'm not contributing to the problem. I'm chewing up all the asbestos in the walls. I'm getting rid of it. <laughs> yum, yum. A little asbestos yum, beaver. Yum, 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 yum. Yes, yes, yes. Put it in my tongue. Do beavers eat wood? Beavers, oh, I think they do eat wood. They eat leaves as well. I think they... they and they manoeuvre wood to make dams. Yeah, beavers... And they have a get damn good time doing it. Beavers... You know, they used to, when they were sort of like trying to get beavers reintroduced to a part of the, um, I think, Canadian wild, mm. they put them in boxes and then just dropped them off planes with parachutes. So these beavers just got airdropped into an area because it was so hard to logistically get in there because they didn't want to build roads to destroy the native wildlife. Mm. So they just like dropped beavers from the sky oh. to like just put them in the land. And then they reg- they they regulate the landscape around them. They fe- the- beavers are one of the species that affect their landscape the most after human beings. Golly. Because they dam entire rivers. They're amazing animals. Our, the restaurant that I work at had too many mice. And so we started killing the mice. But now we've got crickets. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the name of this restaurant? <laughs> oh my god. So now you need to bring in a bird to eat the crickets. <laughs> got too many birds. Bring in the gorillas. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind the gorillas. We had rats, you see. It was really wonderful in this play to see like a mother-daughter relationship. Yeah. Like that's always interesting and seeing the, the things that they can inbuild into that. Even though, again, the text itself was largely them telling us about things that happened. Mm. It was still nice to see, yeah, two generations represented on stage. It was like physically in front of you. Somehow yeah. that to me still hits as novel. Oh, totally. I think that's just really great. Um yeah, and so I'm, I was curious about this notion to ask you of, like, if you reach a point in your life, let's say, like, your mid-40s for whatever reason, maybe you have money, maybe you've made a mistake, maybe you've made some enemies or something. I'll definitely not have money. If you had to, like, run away to, like, a town somewhere, what would the town be like? And, like, where would it be? And what would be, like, the vibe of your existence there? I think if I'm running away and I need to just go get away to a small town, mm. I would probably want to go to, like, Tasmania. Okay. I think I want to go to, like, a cold area. I love the cold. And I want to go to somewhere where I could just have a little garden and live my little life and just do that. Right. It would be, like, a, it would be like a cottage in the middle of nowhere, I think would be my dream. Mm. Outside of a small town. Okay. And then I would sort of like come in every now and again and get my supplies and go back to my little village, little cottage. Yeah. And just live a quiet, idyllic life. And what would your day look like? I'd wake up. I'd (laughs) shout at the sun. (laughs) I'd regret waking up. I'd cry. I'd sleep. No, I think I'd wake up. I'd 
read a book. I'd like yeah. to read a book. But <laughs> well, you've changed a lot I in this future. Yes. <laughs> I'll get the. I'll get the. I'll learn to read. Um, <laughs> I attend my little garden. Mm-hmm. I might hang out with my partner Flynn, who I assume has come with me. Aha! Uh-huh. Interesting. Thank you. Interesting. That, that hinges on. It all hinges on that. What about you? Where would you go? What would you do? I don't know. I think this goes back to my like weird beach fantasies. I think I'd go somewhere coastal. Sure. And yeah, somewhere like rickety on top of a hill that overlooks the ocean. Oh, beautiful. You know, just because I feel like I'd want to do a lot of like staring at the sea and thinking about stuff, you know? That does sound like you, to be fair. And I'd want it to be a house that would attract sort of like befuffled attention so that now and then people would muster up the courage to be like, I wonder who lives up there. You want to be the witch living just outside of town. No, but I want to be more a more hospitable style of witch. I want to be someone that I can maintain their distance from people, but also, you know, you know, can, can welcome, welcome guests when I want to. But yes, I think I definitely need an ocean to stare at <laughs> and ponder the future and the past. And do you have a daughter in this scenario? <laughs> um... Mm, no, somehow I don't picture her there with me. Sure, she's still in Wittenoom. She's still in Wittenoom. She loves it there. She loves it there. Full yes. of asbestos, so I hear. God, oh my god! And they were like things about the ending of this play was so, like just so sad. Like things oh really? That, especially things that like the, the daughter was saying about the, like things that she wanted to tell her mother and not tell her mother and. Yeah, and just, like, acknowledging the fact that the mother, in moving them to Wittenoom, had all this, like, hope and optimism about it and was doing it out of the goodness of her heart and the way that it's ended for the two of them. Mothers. 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 Anytime mothers are on stage or on screen, it's... It's just immediately has my heart in their little... in the palm of their hand. What about Carrie? Not Bradshaw, the Stephen King novel. Bickmore? Carrie the what <laughs> the Carrie the horror novel oh Carrie the pig blood what pig, about Carrie pig blood, pig blood. oh that, <laughs> that, I always do <laughs> that that um yeah I'm yeah. just thinking of mothers that don't qualify for your oh but she slays on the Broadway she slays on the Broadway that character's great on um, on stage and so Julianne Moore's about. depiction was breathtaking agreed agreed sure you enjoyed not? you didn't see the no, remake no I didn't see it oh. <laughs> Yes, well, I famously have no patience for Chloe Grace Moretz. <laughs> famously? famously? Yeah, we can't stop saying that yeah, about yeah. our Jake. <laughs> I, just, I just don't think she's very good. Anyway, let's talk about another show now. I mean, I guess so. Okay. Oh. Oh, my God. Hello, Jake. Oh, God. Welcome to this book. Key episode of Appraise Dionysus. Why Praise am I Italian him. now? I don't know, but you better be talking about the Wesley production of Dracula, please. Uh, no, but something adjacent. Adjacent? Nosferatu. I'm talking about Nosferatu. Oh, cool. Yeah. I okay. went to the Malthouse Theatre. Yes. I went along with my partner, Flynn. Uh-huh. And we saw Nosferatu. Great. Just uh, walking around. Just walking around. And then we went and saw a show. Oh, great. What did you see with Nosferatu? It was another show called Nosferatu. Oh, what did he think of the show? He hated it. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nothing like that. <laughs> I don't talk like that at all. I'm Italian. You made me sound okay. ridiculous so... over there. I'm going Italian, too. Yeah, why does that happen? <laughs> I'm like, maybe we should open a pizza restaurant? It could be called Van Pizza. Van Pizza. Van Pizzas. That sounds like you sell pizzas from a van. Maybe we could sell it from a van. Then we're not opening an Italian pizza restaurant. We're it opening a van. Is. It's a food experience. We're opening a food experience in a van. We're becoming pedophiles. That's all that's happening there. Honk, honk. Um, <laughs> content warning, goose. A food experience in a van. <laughs> like like a food van. Like a food truck. Oh, yeah. We're back to a legitimate business again. Yes. <laughs> we always were. I wasn't talking about just a rad... Okay, shut up. So, 
<laughs> this show was written by Kazia Warner. Okay. Or Kazia. Okay. Depending. Uh, and Bridget Belodis directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so sat on down. Yeah. It's in the the big Malthouse Theatre. Is that the Merlin? The big one. Yes. Yeah, that's the Merlin, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm saying with a certainty that I'm trying to convince myself of. Because the smaller one's the Beckett. Yes. Yeah. So it was the biggest one. The one named after a wizard. Yes. Um, <laughs> he did a lot for theatre. <laughs> Sim Salabim, Proscenium Arch. <laughs> <laughs> so the set, first of all, breathtaking. Great. So <clears throat> set and costume was by Romany e. Harper. Mm-hmm. And this set is expansive. It's wide open. It's got these huge red curtains behind it all. Mm-hmm. Sort of like in this sort of uh, tiered way that gives it a bit of dimension. Then it's got this large wall at the back with maybe seven or eight doors. All identical, all just very traditional old school doors. <laughs> I mean, I, I, What's an old school door? Like they're just regular doors with big old door handles, you know? <laughs> okay. I don't know what more you want me to say. Like the doors of a castle? Like the doors of like a fancy older office building. Like a, oh. like a law firm. Like, I'd imagine these doors in an old-fashioned law firm. That feels like the most generic style of door there is. Yeah. Oh, so they're just generic... They're generic doors. With but knobs and hinges. <laughs> yep, we can go on. We can. <laughs> and I'm going to. Uh, and then the rest of the stage is... I don't, it's, it's large, open, flat, tiered levels of stairways up to uh, platforms of what I think is, like, linoleum. Okay. Like this big mar- like marble checkerboard print. Yeah. Um, and it's just this, and then the corner of it is this really stark looking, uh, table, like this large dining table with a few chairs. So the set is amazing. Like, and it, it, it takes on all these immediately, these German expressionist film angles. Like everything is, there's no right angles in the floors. There, it's all off angle a bit. It's all colored in a bit weird and it all has this weird, feeling that they used to do in like these these German expressionist films where everything feels wrong like, like everything is at a bit of a weird angle and you can't quite pick why mm-hmm. so that was first of just immediately terrific and um, they also have at the front of the stage this almost what looks like a moat okay like it's separated from this from the chairs by this large uh, barrier that goes down and you can't see what's down there from the chairs oh my God. so it's immediately very like oh what the fuck's gonna happen mm-hmm. and you know um, going in, we had heard a lot of like, oh, you need to see this show, but I won't tell you why. So we knew there was something spooky gonna happen. I love smug recommendations. Right, same. It's the only shows I see. So we're in Tasmania. Who is? This town. I think it's called Blue Water. Okay. Uh, in small Tasmania. Okay. The, sea, the play opens. Uh, we're presented immediately. By uh, uh, Keegan Joyce, who you may know from Please Like Me. I do. Yeah. Uh, Shamita Siva and Max Brown. Great. Who are playing, respectively, Tom, Ellen, and Nock. Tom and Ellen are partners. Ellen is a journalist in the town. Uh, Nock is the mayor of the small town. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't quite figure out what Tom's role in the town was, but he's a resident of the small town. Mm -hmm. And they're sort of discussing... There are a few elements of this show that go above and beyond the original Nosferatu story. Because mm-hmm. do you know about the original Nosferatu? No, I know Dracula, sort of. Yeah, so Nosferatu is like a, a one of the first vampire movies. Mm. And it was sort of like done in like the... Because oh that was like creepy staircase silhouette. Yeah, it was a very right? classic... Yeah, the cl- classic silhouette of like those spooky hands coming along the stairway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was 
it was a film made for German audiences, loosely inspired by the original Bram Stoker Dracula novel. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of Dracula in this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this retelling, it's set in Tasmania, and the three people in this, they're sort of talking about the mine nearby in the town has sort of poisoned the water, and the earth is dying. So it immediately has this sort of, I guess, climate change lilt to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they bring in this little plant, and they talk about how this plant is... A plant, like a plant? Like a nature plant? Like a nature plant. Okay. They have a little nature plant, and it's this sort of, like, like fly-eating carnivorous plant that has grown out of this poisoned earth. Okay. Which is the first thing that we sort of hear about, and they sort of discuss, which obviously, you know... What could that be alluding to? Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, I was going to say vampires, but yeah, I oh. guess it could be. <laughs> that's the com- that's the spin-off we want. I want to see vampires with Little Shop of Horrors. Oh my god. Mm, there you go. Is that like a versus situation or do they team up? I think it would have to start out versus but then they team up to fight a greater threat. Being Godzilla. In my head I'm thinking it's less Godzilla and more along the lines of like a werewolf. I want to keep it mythical. One werewolf. One werewolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the vampires and carnivorous plants team up to beat one werewolf. It's a, it's a big werewolf. An enemy that only exists at night time. On a full moon. <laughs> so twice a month, <laughs> these plants and We must band together, my brothers. So, uh, so yes. uh, it, it hits all the original, say, a lot of the beats of the Dracula and, and Nosferatu story. So, Tom Keegan, Keegan's character, yeah. uh, is sort of re- ha- has received word from a mysterious benefactor ah! oh, <laughs> uh, that wants to support them, and he's sort of like trying to tell um, the ca- Ellen and Knock about this guy wants to invest in our town because our town is failing and dying, and he wants to give us a bunch of money to like to do stuff in our town and, and reinvigorate the town. So I'm going to go and meet them, mm. and so. So he goes up, travels to Sydney, mm-hmm. where this count lives. Okay. And he calls himself Count Orlok. Okay. Who is the original character of Nosferatu. Okay. Um, and I immediately just love the idea of just Count Orlok having existed all this time and settling down in Sydney. Why? I just think it's. I just think it's great. It's like yeah, like what part of Sydney? Uh, it was sort of out from the way they described it. It's like out of Sydney. Like you have mm-hmm. to drive pretty far out. Okay. And he lives, and it hits the original beats of like. Tom gets into this small pub to sort of on the way and no one want, none of the Uber drivers want to take him there and they don't they they refuse to take him all the way so he has to walk all the way through the grounds mm-hmm. and the earth feels different there and the trees seem wrong and he, he sort of like is let into the house and then so the one of the, my favorite things about this show is the start it takes us so long to meet Count Orlock okay and the whole time it sort of feels like this heavy pregnant pause of a show of like When's he going to come in? <laughs> When's he going to be here? Because we all know he's coming and he's going to be a spooky vampire boy, but he's not here yet. Mm-hmm. So the whole time we're waiting. And then he emerges. Mm-hmm. And he's just, first of all, it's, so it's Jacob Collins Levy is playing Nosferatu. Okay. Well, Count Orlock. Mm-hmm. And he comes out in this dressing gown. And I was immediately astounded by just how understated he was. Okay. He was just this very suave, very decrepit looking man in a in a red dressing gown mm-hmm. and he goes through all the original bits of like uh, Tom pricks his thumb and Nos- and Hanalok sucks the blood out of it and there's these very strongly implied homoerotic themes immediately of like Tom un- falling under the vampire's thrall mm-hmm. um, and so it goes through those sort of story elements of you know like he sends a letter off to his partner Ellen but it's a text mm. it basically <laughs> works out to be Dracula if they had mobile phones right so he's like <laughs> hey I'm gonna stay here for a bit longer and then there is this incredible image 
when one of the doors... So it's been, like, some time has passed. We don't know how long he's been in this house with this mysterious count who is sort of, like, just making a bunch of vampire puns. It's like when Hannibal speaks and he's like, I had a friend for dinner. Like, it's very that. He has a lot of things to say that are like, you wouldn't, I wouldn't find you to my taste. Like, those sorts of things. Does Hannibal make puns? <laughs> yes! Have you yes. watched Hannibal? Very much. Not, not so much puns, but things like, I don't know, he'll say like, um, I had an old friend for dinner. You know? <laughs> sure. Things like that. Yeah, yeah. But imagine it as a vampire. Okay. So some time has passed, there's no one on the stage, mm. and then the, the furthest door on the left opens. Yeah. And and Keegan spills out with all of this just earth. This pile of earth just spills out of the door onto the stage. Oh my god. And he like spits out earth and he's like, oh fuck, how long have I been here? And it was just this really beautiful moment. And that dirt just stays there for the rest of the show. Cool. Just spilling out of that door, which I thought was just a really smart move. And sort of sets up the importance of earth to this story. Mm. Like the poisoned earth in Tasmania. The earth that Count Orlock throughout all the stories and reiterations, he always has to bring his own earth with him because mm. the earth, wherever he goes, can't, I don't know, he's not allowed to walk on it or he needs, it changes story to story, but he needs to bring his earth with him. Mm. So that was just a beautiful image. Um, one bit that worked really well in being fucking scary mm. was the, once again, it goes to the original story of Count Orlock bringing his dirt and his earth over to wherever he's going in the story mm. on a boat. Yeah. And we, so we don't see anything. We just hear this, like, transmission from this modern day ship um, being like, we go through maybe about five minutes of all these transmissions from the ship getting progressively more and more panicked and scared as people start getting sick on the ship and we, we, we please send help we don't know what's going on these relocations people are going missing and then it ends with this horrible sort of like the scared pilot of the ship just being cut off all of a sudden we all know what's happened but they don't mm. and then into town comes Count Orlock mm-hmm. and he's here in this small Tasmanian town and he establishes a, a winery <laughs> a vineyard right and everyone's like why the fuck are you doing that this earth is all poisoned and he's like, I want to because it is something that I want to do. And then the vines start growing. And, everyone, oh. and people start disappearing. Now, have you seen vampires on stage apart from Dracula? <laughs> Wesley's Dracula. Wesley's you Dracula, the best show ever done. <laughs> um, uh, dun, dun, dun. Vampires on stage. Think, Jake, think. I think it's... No, my mind is too distracted by the idea of Wesley's Dracula. No, I can't think of anything else. Sure. Okay. Well, then never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I had never really seen vampires on stage. Mm. And I don't know. I think it never occurred to me how... Here's a question. Mm. A, a mysterious man has come into town. He's got a lot of weird shit going. He's brought a bunch of dirt with him. He's a count. He's got a, a like a Eastern European accent. How long do you think it would take you before you genuinely confronted the idea that he might be a vampire? Ah, uh, pretty fast. Pretty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think because I'm very open to vampires being around. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think I'd be suspicious. The moment that I saw anything vampire-y, I'd be a bit like, hmm. Like, there are people that in my life, not like close in my life, <laughs> that would be like, where I've been like, you might be a vampire. Huh. Just because of qualities you have. And so I'm 
I'm not gonna really Have investigate. Have you ever thought that about me? No, I've never thought you were oh, a vampire. No, yeah, that's fine. No, no, no. But others, because <laughs> a large driving force in this story is people just refusing to believe that this character is a vampire. In like a frantic denial way, or in like a why haven't you thought of this option yet? In a why haven't you thought of this option way, and then a frantic denial. Okay. Um, but I guess it's the thing too of like maybe if a vampire were even like slightly different from the media depiction of what a vampire is, you could get away with it for longer. Like if we hadn't had Twilight, if we hadn't had Buffy, maybe. The idea of some really old person that's sucking blood to stay young and opens a winery, like, it's maybe a bit strange. Like, why would you... Th if you don't have the word vampire, you wouldn't think about a vampire. True, and that's why I think the... Spoilers for the TV show Midnight Gospel. That's, <laughs> that's why I think the Midnight Gospel... Yeah, skip ahead, skip ahead, MG God. fans. I think Midnight Gospel worked so well is because it was set in a world where vampires didn't exist. Like, they didn't have any mythology of vampires. Is Midnight Gospel that one that's like a cartoon? Oh, shit, not Midnight Gospel. Midnight Mass, Midnight Mass, Midnight Mass. Oh, right. You're right. With the hot brother from the, the hot... New Adventures of Old Christine. Sure. <laughs> Why not? By the same people that did The Haunting of Hill House. Because the main villain that, spoilers, is a vampire. Right. And they just don't know that because they don't have any mythology of vampires. So you're totally right. I think it would take a long time for people to actually confront because, that. Yeah, because like even like the Dracula people, like the only reason they really know anything about vampires is because Van Helsing turns up, right? And he's like, yes. oh, garlic and crucifixes. And there's no real Van Helsing. I think there is a Van Helsing equivalent in this show. Okay. Um, that is Sophie Ross playing Kate, who is the town doctor. Okay. And she's sort of like come back to the town because her mother is dying and she needs to sort of look after her mum and be mm. with her and then sort of she just becomes a doctor for the town. Okay. And props <laughs> to Sophie Ross because she plays a doctor that I would trust inherently. Why? You know what? I don't know. It's just like, she just, a lot of, so a lot of this show, I just need to get out of, in front of this. A lot of this show has a lot of naturalist sounding scenes. Like the way that the characters talk and interact a lot is very sensible and human sounding. Okay. Um, and I think for me, that was a bit jarring just because it felt like this should have been a lot camper. <coughs> like it felt like it should have been a little... Because of your taste or because of like expectations? The, oh, this is absolutely my taste and my expectations of what a show should be. Well, so where is should coming from? From from me. I think it should... So, oh, so, so No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not criticising you. Mm. I'm curious. Like, what the, what the origin of that should it is felt, just... It felt like there were a lot of beats to the show that were over the top and silly and, and breathtaking. Mm. And then they sort of bounced back to this sort of natural sounding speech. And I almost want... I personally, me, almost wanted it to be... This is the one time I would have been like, be a little bit more poetic and ridiculous. Be a little bit more over the top. Yeah. Um, having said that, the, the cast was terrific. Like, yeah. they... There was... I'm jumping around a lot, I know, but I'm just going to jump to bits that I really liked. Yeah. There was this one scene that I'll remember for a while, and it was a dinner party. And I, and, and once it, lighting designer Paul Jackson needs a shout out, mm. because it was a dinner party between all five of the actors. Uh, Count Orlock sitting in the middle, he's arrived and he's hosting them all for a dinner as they all get to know him and each other. And it was just one of those scenes where it was... Rapid, rapid, rapid paced conversation, mm. heightened conversation that still was had all the natural like breaths and stammers and pauses that made it feel normal. But it was just so fast, and every few seconds there'd be a lighting change, and the the light would move across the stage in a way that felt like the sun going across the sky, mm. and they would just keep going for what I, th I reckon it was probably like seven or eight minutes, like mm. just of intense, quick character work. Um, and like their costumes would slowly change to reveal that more and more of the night had been going on and they'd bring out more wine and they'd get more drunk and it just revealed little key pieces about the character in a way that I, I really appreciated 
Um, so that that bit really, really just highlighted how competent these actors were. Mm. Um, yeah, in particular, I, once again, Laura Ross, just as Kate the Doctor, I just found so magnetic as a performer. Mm. Um, and everything that she said, I just, I, I really believed so in... Like, you know when actors just lose themselves in a role in a way that is just so wonderful to watch. That's what this actress was doing. Okay. Um, and I feel like some of the other actors had, like, the mind of being a bit more melodramatic, which I also really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... Yeah, I, I, for me personally, I wish it had all been a bit melodramatic. Sure. Yeah. Some fun facts about the show. Yes. Uh, they used about 40 litres of fake blood on stage. Wow. Okay. Um, and this is not a spoiler in terms of it's used in some of the promotional imaging. Okay. Imagery. Um, but there is a bit where, like... They just, they've had the dinner party, they all go off, and then 40 litres of blood falls from the ceiling onto the table, like in a stream. Wow. And it just trickles down those steps that they've got. Mm. And then for the next scene, which is like quite a, a, a reserved scene of dialogue between Count Orlock and the mayor, uh, Nock, I mean, um, Max Brown and Jacob Collins Levy, they just have this really quiet conversation where... Count Orlok essentially seduces the, the mayor. And during this whole conversation, blood is just dripping audibly down the stairs. Mm. And it was just, it was like the dirt pouring out of the door. It was like this moment of, I don't know, it was like sensory. It was like a little bit creepy. And it just added this element that I was just so there for. Right. Which was great. Yeah. Um, and in another fun visual bit, that's also used in the promotional imagery, hmm. um, they had this great bit where the Count first emerges from his little door and he's sort of spooking around with Keegan. And they do the Nosferatu shadow across the back wall. Yeah. And you can just see the see the shadow creeping along. It looked really good. And it was one of the it was one of the first moments the audience all sort of went, Oh, oh my god. Like it was like a real moment of Just oh, because of the shit. shadow. Yeah, there was something really unsettling about it. Right. Um and it was it was a bit gimmicky and it was a bit melodramatic in a way that I appreciated, but it was spooky mm. and, I, and it worked. Um, so I've already mentioned Romani Harper who did the costume, the set, but also the costume. And mm. I wanted to mention particularly because um, Shamita, who is a incredible um, physical performer in their own right, yeah. um, was just dressed in this incredible long leather jacket that made them sort of look like they were cast in the next Blade movie. Okay. You know, there was just a certain element of it had to be inspired by some sort of vampire hunter. Like, mm-hmm. it was just, oh, that's cool. Um, and yeah, I, I just thought the costuming was so terrific as well. Like, every, every, all the parts of the show worked really well in terms of it felt gothic, it felt creepy, it felt big. Um, and yet the lighting and the costume and the set, I think, all worked really well together in creating this terrifying world and the creeping sense of dread that comes in. I didn't expect this to from watching the show but there is a creeping sense of dread of almost pantomime he's behind you the whole time because the whole time we all know Count mm. Orlok's the vampire yeah. and he's there to kill you like that's yeah. what he's there for but the whole just these sort of scenes where it's so obvious that he's seducing them or he's he's bringing them around to his side and they just don't see it they don't see it until the last second and there's this bit towards the why is he seducing them to because I, he just wants to... From what I gather, and there were... I will admit there were elements in the third act of the show towards the end that I, I for me, personally, didn't quite get. Okay. Um, I didn't quite get where the sort of... The spooky plant at the start that I mentioned yes. doesn't really come in again. Ah. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah, which feels weird to sort of mention Audrey 2 and then not have her do anything. Yes. Um, <laughs> but then it sort of developed into this retelling of the story where it wasn't so much uh, Count Orlock just trying to feed on people. Count Orlock started trying to seduce people and turning them around to his side and trying to sort of seduce them with promises of power. And I don't want to... Say, I can't really say too much more without spoiling the story. And I don't want to because I think you should go and see this show if you can. Um... But it sort of became this, I don't know, This there, there was, there's a moment towards the end, another, there's a trick that I can't talk about because it's a plot point, but this one of the most impressive ends of a character that I think I've seen on, on a stage. Like, it was just done very well and very simply. Okay. And then there's, like, another maybe five or ten minutes, and then it stops, and it stops really abruptly. What does? The play stops? The play stops oh. really abruptly. Okay. Uh... And in a way that left me wanting more, and I, for me, was in a bad way. Oh. Like, in a bad way of, like, I want to see where, the, where that scene goes. Oh. You can't end it there. Yeah. And they, they did, oh. which was a bit bothering to me. But that's, <laughs> again, that's just me and my taste. Sure. Um, yeah, but shout out to Shemita for just knowing how to move that coat. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like that takes a lot of work. Mm. But there's a lot of swooshing going on. Yeah. And there's a lot of, with this long, expansive set, I feel like there's a lot of choreography that goes into making sure that people are on the right mark at the right time because it's just huge. Yeah. Um, and they all walked so naturally across these stairs in a way that I don't think I could. I'm now just listing things I liked about the play. Yes. Do you have any any thoughts that have been brought up by vampiric theatre? No. Okay. No. 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 <laughs> um, How would you handle writing a vampire for the stage? Would you want to... Would you want people to know that... They were a vampire from the beginning, because that was part of the joy of this show, was us all knowing the story already. Yeah. Would you want to write it more as... Because I think I would. I'd want to write it more as a slow reveal that it's a vampire. And I'd want it to be... Not... You wouldn't get impatient with that? No, I don't think so. I think I'd, I'd, I'd want to be embroiled in the mystery. Right, okay. Rather but than I imagine the... the mystery would have to extend beyond, oh, they're a vampire. Yeah, exactly. I think there'd have to be more to it. Right. But what would you... you have to write a show about a vampire mm. right now. Yeah. And not vampire, not um, Dracula or Nosferatu. Right. So what would you write? Um, I suppose... Um, there'd be a love story in there somewhere without straying into Twilight territory, I Naturally. Suppose. Naturally. And I, I'd have to pin down, I suppose, the goal of the vampire or vampires, if there are a bunch of vampires. I suppose, yeah... Dealing with the ethics of where they... Assuming it's a, like a traditional version of a vampire. Where are they getting their blood from and who are they killing for it. Classic. Um, but I think too I'd want to drill down into what I find entrancing about vampires generally. And how much of that is aesthetically based. How much of it is just uh, like a, you know, the garden variety appeal of just gothic stuff. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess my immediate interest in it is the way that... Vampires have always seemed quite beautiful to me for some reason. And like Probably beyond Twilight. the... Pardon? Probably Twilight. Maybe maybe Twilight, but I never watched Twilight and thought, look, look how beautiful these people are. I always found them all to be very odd looking. And the... They do look really weird, don't yeah, they? Yeah, but there's something just very like, I don't know. I, maybe for some reason Death Becomes Her comes to mind. Like something more of that ilk in terms of the superficiality of a pursuit of perpetual beauty mm. um, is intriguing. I'd watch but, that. Sure, sure. But I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, 
maybe exploring something in the emptiness of like wanting to live forever and wanting to be beautiful while you do it. Hmm. Um, and the things you're willing to take from other people to maintain that lifestyle. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. And then watching all your loved ones die around you. I'm not sure. It'd be a lot of like, once I nailed down the lore of how it all fucking yeah. worked, then you could start having fun, I suppose. But I think I'd need that bedrock. Yeah. Well, um, that'd be fun to write your own lore behind vampires. Maybe. Hmm. Maybe. But also it's pretty well-trodden territory. It is very well-trodden. Yeah. 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 Um, but it felt, it felt somehow refreshing to see it done on stage like this. Sure. And especially with, like, a really good budget. <laughs> like, I, I just think it's satisfying seeing big stage tricks on a big stage. I think that's always fun. Yeah. One of the, pulled off well. For sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, one of the things that, the like, any of my pals that have seen it, one of, the, like, the first three things they say about this production is it's so good to see something so expensive looking. Yeah, it does look expensive. Sure. <laughs> um, and as a last few notes, I just want to say, like, Jacob Collins Levy, if you want to cast a vampire, cast Jacob. Like, oof. Oof. Just really, again, understated in a way that I wasn't expecting. Sure. I was ready for camp silly villain, mm. which I know is not what the, they were going for. And just the way he played this smarmy fucking dickhead of a vampire. I what, just did he, what did he want? I, again, I can't pin down his motives. Okay. I, <laughs> I assume... From what I could, from what I could tell the show, I assume he just wanted blood and just new lands. Like I think it was just a very basically driven vampire. Of I want more blood and small towns are fun because no one really notices if they go missing. Okay. Yeah, which is why it was interesting that it was set in a small town in Tasmania. That did feel. It's one of the you know when you see things recontextualized to be in an Australian setting, it's often like oh okay. But this one for me made a lot of sense because okay. Tasmania has like a long history of sort of like. Vampires. <laughs> but you know, there's, you know, colonial as sort of spooky stories already in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And I think it was interesting to sort of imagine this dark, spooky thing happening there. Quack, quack. quack. Um, like, where did all those Tasmanian tigers go? Chomped down by a vampire, mm. weren't they? Yeah, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard, <laughs> and I'm not changing my tune. Unforgettable. That's what you are. <laughs> Unforgettable. I Where don't know if I'm this... even singing the right what? tune. <laughs> Why um, did... Where did this cover come from? I just like you. Me? Yeah. Okay, sure. Um, yeah. Let us know about shows you're doing. Yes. Because In... now that the midsummer is over, we're looking for theatre. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Invite us along. It'll be so cool to see what you're up to and then to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, as, as usual, our opinions are not permanent and they may change we may already disagree with things we've said in this podcast yeah um my god yeah thank you for listening thank you for coming along on to on on this episode my god thank you for letting us take up that ear space um and again friends don't let friends become theater critics and if they do they stake them in the heart yes yes like a vampire i'm going up to sydney so i won't probably be in the next recording oh we'll see yeah we'll work something out oh sure but if i'm not that's why yeah or we've parted ways for good (laughs) i mean these are the only two options yeah yeah Yeah, or Vampire Attack. I hear they're on the loose. Whatever happened to those Tasmanian targets?